Hello and welcome to the Power and the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterson, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Going well, Winnow. Good to be back. Um, we'll be, probably be more in tune with the uh, first round of the local AFL footy season this weekend rather than the NBA, but I'm sure we can um, catch up and dive into what's been happening as we are, have got really deep in the second half of the season now. Certainly has been some interesting results in the AFL, not least of most my cats going down to the wooden spoon favourite, the Adelaide Crows, but we won't dwell on that too much, or well, I certainly won't anyway. So what I thought we'd do this week, Caddy, is uh, talk about the championship, and, and the best way to do this, I think, is to sort of break the teams down into tiers, and the best reason, I think, to do that is, for, for instance, you might have Team X ranks third and Team O ranks seventh, and somebody will say, why, why have you got one third and one seventh? But you've got them in that same tier, so you don't think there's a huge gap between the, those two teams, but you might think there's a huge gap between the second team and that third team. So we're going we're gonna to place uh, these teams into tiers, and the first tier we'll start with are the championship favourites. So these are the teams that we think at the moment are clearly cut above the rest of them, and we'll probably be disappointed if they don't come away with the championship. Who have you got in that first tier, Caddy? Look, I probably would have liked to have taken two teams out of the East, to be honest. I would have thought initially maybe Brooklyn and Philly, but I'll I'll spread it out and go one from each conference. So I definitely have Brooklyn Nets as the favourite to come out of the East, and I probably have them as my provisional favourite to win the championship at the moment. So, I mean, their record at the moment speaks for itself. They're currently flying along in second spot in the East with 28 wins and 14 losses. They've won eight of the last 10, and all those games have been without Kevin Durant still, who's... Uh, still recovering from injury. So they're still waiting to get him back from a hamstring. They're reporting another possible week, maybe two weeks to get him back in. So they've been, been a long time to... for a hammy, hasn't it? It's it's a bit concerning. Like generally a hamstring, you know, if we equate it back to the AFL is two to three weeks, but this is sort of stretched on a long time. You'll make it wonder if it's maybe a, a tendon or something. We've seen those in the AFL as well. Nathan Buckley springs to mind, but th- there's, yeah, it's a bit concerning. I would imagine that he's been out for that long with a hamstring injury. Yeah, well, I suppose one of the uh, other COVID terms we've been used to in the last 12 months is the abundance of caution. So I'm, I'm guessing potentially <laughs> um, with you know Kevin Durant's recent injury history that perhaps... Experiencing a lot of was... hamstring awareness, maybe. <laughs> That's right. Another really good term there. But yeah, you look, I, you'd like to think it's only just being cautious rather than anything more sinister than, than just a, a hamstring tear or strain. So you're, they're going to want to get him back sooner rather than later. But as, as I've mentioned, they've been able to tick along pretty comfortably without him on the court. They've obviously also brought in Blake Griffin, who hasn't played um, as yet for them. There's a chance he could uh, suit up uh, as soon as tomorrow in their, their next game against the Wizards. So that'll be interesting to see how he can, how he can mix in with the, the guys that are currently playing. So a lot's been left really to Kyrie Irving and James Harden at the moment, who have done you know super jobs in, in, in keeping this rolling really, really well. So I'd, I'd have them as my provisional favourite to win the whole title. I just think they've got just so much talent on that on that roster, and their role players have been able to really, you know, work in together pretty well. So I'd have them number one, and then and then to go over to the West, I still think the LA Lakers, you know, all things being equal, if they can get Davis and, and now obviously LeBron James, who's hurt himself today, so if they can get them back on the court in enough time in the playoffs, then you know I still think they've got enough talent to get through to the finals and and you know really take it up to the net. So I'd have probably Brooklyn in the one seed and then LA Lakers, you know, with the caveat that is providing Anthony Davis and LeBron James are back in this lineup by the playoffs that, um, you know, I think still think they're the side that will come out of the West. I agree. I've got the, the same two teams as you do, and I do have Brooklyn as, a, you know, the one seed and the Lakers as the two seed. Just on the net, you mentioned there how impressive they've been since Durant's gone out with injury. That's 12-2 and two since Durant's gone out with injury, and it's been James Harden that's, that's really led the way there. He's 
in that span there, he's averaged almost 29 points a game, 11 rebounds and 10 assists. So, you know, a triple-double there. And there's only been uh, three players that have done that in the history of the NBA over a 13-year span. So he's putting up phenomenal numbers. And I think the scary part is that Durant, to me, is their, is their best player. So they're doing this without their best player. And Durant's one of those players that comes in. We saw it when he went to Golden State. He's not going to upset the apple cart too much. They're basically just going to slot in almost the most devastating scorer we've got in the NBA, and he'll fit in seamlessly, and they're going to be even stronger. I know initially when the trade was made uh, for Harden to, came, to come in, I expre- expressed my reservations about could they be strong enough on the defensive end. Now those reservations are still there, but I think they've picked it up a little bit recently and just how devastating they have been. And, and the adjustment that James Harden's made cannot be underestimated. You know, we, we saw obviously the way he played it at Houston, you know, handling the ball a lot, dribbling between his legs for 15, 16, 17 seconds, and then and then shooting a step back three. Well, he hasn't done that all that often uh, since he's moved to Brooklyn. So he's been able to adjust his game, fit in with Kyrie and, you know, DeAndre Jordan. And, yeah, as I said, we haven't seen the three of these guys together all that much to be able to get a real big sample size as to how they will fit together. But I'd imagine imagine it's going to be really devastating when they're able to play a, an extended period of time together. So I think clearly at the moment, given the injury worries that the Lakers do have, that Brooklyn do do have to be the favourites. Moving on to the Lakers, you mentioned there LeBron getting injured today. They've they've said it's a high ankle sprain, and anyone who's had an eye, a high ankle sprain know that that can be a really slow uh, recovery process. So hopefully for the Lakers, it's not too it's not too long because without Davis, who's been out for probably four weeks now and is a couple of weeks away, and if LeBron misses three or four weeks, all of a sudden you're looking at the standings there, and they're third at the moment at twenty eight and fourteen, but Portland are within a couple of games of them, so. You know, the Lakers could sort of slip down to as low as the sixth or even seventh seed. So if you see that happening, Caddy, do you think that's going to put a really big dent in the hopes of winning the championship if they do slip down that far? Obviously, they won't have home court advantage, but it will obviously make it a tougher uh, route to the championship. Yeah, look, I did consider that when I was sort of weighing up whether I'd still have the Lakers you know, right at the top of that tier. But look, I think in a season this year where crowds probably aren't the, the same factor and, you know, we're still looking to be seen whether or not by the by the playoffs there'll be larger capacities in these arenas. But I think if it's kind of the status quo as it is at the moment, then if they do fall down or six or seven seed and, you know, have to win on the road, you know, more often than not, then I don't see it as being, you know, such a big a disadvantage as what it would would have been in previous seasons. So look, I I've probably just counted that as a factor. I just think if they can you know, we spoke about one of the very early podcasts we did about you know, what what are their weaknesses, and we did basically mention the only thing at that stage we could see stopping them was injury. So we're they're they're looking at that in right in the face of it now. Um, so if they can kind of, you know, like the Nets have in a sense, be able to just sort of continue on and, and you know at least go five hundred through the next uh, couple of weeks while LeBron and Davis are on the shelf, then you know they should be able to maintain that position certainly within you know the four or five seed. And even if they do drop lower, I still think. Come the playoffs, come a full roster, then they've still got the depth and the star talent to be able to make their way all the way through the Western Conference. Yeah, so, so the two guys they signed in the offseason become really vital for them now, don't they? Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder. Now, Dennis Schroeder, for me, I reckon he's been a bit of a question mark for the Lakers this year. So his scoring is down from last year, which was probably to be expected, but down from 18.9 points a game and four assists, down to 14 points, 14.8 points a game and the 4.7 assists. But it's also his, his shooting's dropped from... 47 and 38 splits from from the field and three down to 43 and 31. So I reckon, and his usage is also only 22 and a half, which is his lowest since his rookie seasons, which was eight seasons ago. So 
I think they got Schroeder in to try and take a bit of pressure off LeBron, but LeBron's usage is still up at almost 32, which is around about his career mark. So I reckon they were probably hoping for a little bit more from Schroeder. They had him in the starting lineup as well, as I said, to try and take a bit of that burden off LeBron, but it hasn't quite worked out, I reckon, the way they would have liked. And Schroeder's been making a little bit of noise lately about the fact that he would like to re-sign with the Lakers. So they can extend him during the season. I'm not sure when that cutoff date might be, but I'm I'm really interested to see if they do extend him and if they do, what number they give him because if, if he does leave, leave in the offseason, they probably don't have that free cap space to be able to replace him with, with a like-for-like player. So I'm really interested to see how he does go during this period when both LeBron and Anthony Davis are out. Maybe he can prove his worth a little bit to the Lakers and, and they'll lock him up there. And Montrez Harold too. So those two are really gifted offensively. So you'd imagine that you could see a lot of pick and roll between Schroeder and Harold being run over the next few weeks before they get uh, both LeBron and Davis back in. And they're basically going to be hoping that those two, you know, and Kuzma uh, can carry him during this period and sort of make sure they don't drop too low in the standings. And if they can keep sort of around that 4-5 or five mark, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to matter too much. Just back on Brooklyn, you mentioned there they've they've added Griffin um, in that buyout market and he, and he has yet to play, so we're not sure how he's going to slot in there. Can you see them making another move before the trade deadline? They've got that Spencer Dinwiddie contract sitting there, sitting there which is $11 million this year and $12 million next year, which is, is a player option. So you're not sure whether he would opt, opt into that or not. Probably coming off a devastating injury, maybe he would. But it could be an expiring contract that sort of some teams might might uh, look upon favourably. Do you think they'll look to move that Spencer Dinwiddie contract on and, and try and add another piece? Yeah, well, that's the obvious trade. If they if they are going to look to to make a trade, I think it's the, uh, the Dinwiddie contracts, the, the obvious salary to be able to move and get something valuable in. I mean, if they can't get a deal done with that, then at least you know they, they can still wait for that buyout market and sort of cherry pick any of the players that they sort of get to that point as well. So there's still in a What sort of player position. do you do you think they'd be looking for with that Dinwiddie contract to add? What what do you think they need to sort of we've got them both obviously as a championship favourite at the moment, but what would you yeah. add in a dream scenario to sort of push them right over the line? Oh look I still think you can just still keep adding shooting. You know, you, you can just never have a, have enough of it. You know, they they're replaced with some of the best shooters in the game, but that's how that's their MO. They're not going to turn in you know, I don't think they're going to be able to pick up someone on via trade or through the buy. It's going to all of a sudden turn them into a, a top ten or top fifteen defense. So I think they just keep adding to the things they're really good at. And if they can bring in, you know, another shooter that can come off the bench, you know, if things aren't going well and, and make a few buckets and take relieve some of that pressure that that may come in in any different situation, then I think that's sort of the play they're they're, they're probably best to still look at. You know, all things being equal, with with touch would be uh, no more serious injuries to the list. So I think they just keep adding to to their strengths rather than trying to manufacture uh, something that I don't think is really going to be able to improve between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested if they do move that on. I'm sure there's some teams that would look at Dinwiddie, and he's, he's obviously a really good player um, coming off a devastating injury, as I said, but I reckon some teams will look at him and go, well, he could be our point guard of the future maybe or you know that that really good six, six man there. So I, I think there'll be certainly some interest uh, coming towards him, so I reckon that they might be able to make a move there that could, you know, even make him even stronger. So we'll move on to the next tier, which we'll call the contenders. So these are the teams that we could see really pushing either Brooklyn or Lakers for that championship. Who have you got? Well, how many teams have you got in this uh, tier, Caddy, and, and who are they? Okay, look, I've put four teams into this tier, and there's probably a couple of couple of clubs there that I haven't um, included, just because I've still got some some serious doubts whether or not you know they're going to be able to compete at that really pointy end. And the two teams I've, I've probably left out of this tier that, that may be a bit surprising are the LA Clippers 
who I still just don't have enough belief in in terms of you know what they've got going on at the moment again this year. And the other one's Miami Heat. So I've just left them out for now. You know, they've obviously made a pretty strong run over the last month or two um, once they've got most of their players back in. But I just think there's a couple of sides above them at the moment. So the four that I've included in that... Just quickly, that sorry to cut you off. So I've got the Clippers in this tier there. So you mentioned there... So what, what was the main reason you left the Clippers out of this tier? I still just don't think, you know, from a chemistry point of view and from, you know, a pointy and playoff point of view that they, you know, they've got enough to get to get it done at the moment. I still think there's some issues in the guard rotation... Um, with Lou Williams and Pat Beverly, I don't think there's enough playmaking strength there. Um, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are obviously the two superstars of this team, but you know, Paul George has still got to be able to really prove that he's got the medal on the big stage, which he's been unable to do at this point. So, you know, I, I think most teams that are really at that point in the end have got two stars, and they've probably got two stars just as capable as the LA Clippers have in Leonard and George. So if you're looking looking around the league and you look at even a Phoenix with um, Paul and Booker or um, you know Utah are a different boat, they've probably got a more spread out in terms of their strength of their rotation. But you know Milwaukee have got some more star power in there now. Philly have obviously got Simmons and Embiid. So I think while um, on paper you look at you know the Clippers and Leonard and George and it's you know quite a lot of hype all around it, I just don't know that the backup roster and even the two stars in their entirety are as strong as maybe that has been perceived um, on paper. So, look, I'm happy to be proven wrong when the Clippers get to the playoffs, but I just think at this stage, you know, they certainly haven't set the world on fire even this year. They, they've they had a pretty clean run of health um, for the most part as opposed to some of the other teams, and they are um, still sitting um, in the fourth seed in, in the West. So they're, they're right, right there amongst it. But, you know, in terms of having to set some tiers, I just thought at this stage, you know, I'm still waiting to see a little bit more from them, even from a regular season point of view. And then certainly, you know, you want to see some more from them in the playoffs. That That's fair enough. That's the biggest concern I have too, is their guard rotation. The main reason I've got them in this uh, tier is probably realistically the respect I've got for Kawhi Leonard and the fact that we've seen him carry, not carry, but sort of be the lead dog in a championship team, uh, championship winning team there for the Toronto Raptors. But there's no doubt that the, the biggest question mark for the Clippers is they don't as you said there, they don't really have a point guard or somebody who makes their teammates better. You look at the Lakers, LeBron obviously makes his teammates much better. James Harden makes his teammates much better for, for Brooklyn. Even Giannis for, for Milwaukee makes his teammates better. Ben Simmons makes his teammates better for Philly. But you look at Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I don't think they really make certainly each other better or their teammates better. So I think the biggest hole for them, as you mentioned there, is being able to get in a playmaker who can make their teammates better. Now, we, we, we've seen some uh, rumours over the last week or so that they might be interested in a George Hill or even a Ricky Rubio. And the name that really interests me that popped up over the weekend was Lonzo Ball. Now, I'm not sure how they're going to be able to manufacture getting Lonzo Ball to their team given that they've given away so many draft picks in that Paul George trade and they're obviously pretty hamstrung uh, with their salary cap at the moment. But if they could add somebody like Lonzo Ball who's really developed his his three-point shot and, and as recently as last week, he'd actually hit more three-pointers than Trey Young, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker and LeBron James and was shooting a higher percentage from three-point range than all of those guys. So the biggest question mark on Lonzo Ball had been his shooting. Well, this year I think has put that to bed when you look at those sort of stats there. So do you think, Caddy, that if they're able to add 
certainly Lonzo Ball, but even somebody like a George Hill or a Ricky Rubio, one of these guys that can set them up and maybe make their teammates better because another concerning stat with the Clippers is they la- they rank near the bottom in the league in, in shots at the rim and free throws attempted. So they're not collapsing the D. They're not, they're not getting to the rim and drawing fouls, which are obviously the easiest shots in the book there. So do you think if they're able to add one of these point guards, as I mentioned, those three names there, one of those guys that, that might be able to jump up into contention? Oh, look, I think it might help. It, it adds a bit more versatility to what they can do, um, particularly offensively. But, you know, I'm not sure that even the problems just end, you know, at the guard spot. Look, you know, you're looking at a guy like Marcus Morris even, who's been paid, you know, the best part of $120 million over the next four years or so um, with a, a monster uh, salary that they got offered in the off-season. He's only started the five games. He's only playing 24 minutes a game and averaging uh, the 11.9 points a game. So if he's a really key, almost a third wheel on this team and then, Nicholas Batum and Serge Barker. Look, I just don't know that the strength of the roster is probably what you know we kind of thought it may have been at the start of the year when some of these names all came together. That, um, Lu- that Luke Kennard deal's really killed him, hasn't it? Four years, sixty-four million, and he's been actually been out of the rotation altogether recently. Yeah, that's a disaster as well. So you know they kind of went all in on Kennard and Morris in the off season, and basically because they just didn't have any more cap room um, outside of that, other than getting that trade for Kennard and then extending him, and then also re-signing Morris. So that they'll pretty much hamstrung a little bit in terms of what they could do. But, you know, those salaries are both um, really big for those players who are probably giving them, you know, limited value at the moment. And then, you know, obviously Nick Batoon came in, started the season pretty well. He's starting most of the games for the Clippers at the moment, but averaging the only 8.9 points. So they're not getting much offense out of him. Um, Reggie Jackson's still playing 20 minutes a game for this team, which is, you know, probably a bit of a concern as well. Not so, ideal, really, is it? No, so look, and that's why I've probably just got them sitting out of it at the moment, just from the, that really top tier of teams. Obviously, all due respect to Kawhi Leonard, who's a, he's a two-time champion and, and has done it all before. But um, I just think the rest of the roster, albeit on paper, you kind of look at it and go, yeah, there's some really strong names in there. I just don't know that it's all clicked together at this point. And um, yeah, I've got some serious doubts whether, you know, when things really get tested to, um, at the end of the year, whether this group's going to be able to gel together and, and get it done. That's more than fair enough. As I said, I've certainly got some reservations. I think they're going to be trying to be really active, and it's obviously hard to look at the crystal ball and see if they do end up getting that that guard that they need. But I'm expecting them to be really active, and if they can add that guard, that point guard who can set them up, I think that's going to be really big for them because Pat Bev, their point guard at the moment, just isn't that kind of kind of player. You know, no matter how good he is on the defensive end. The other team that you don't have in there that I do was Miami Heat. Now, I am a Miami Heat Miami Heat fan, so maybe it's my bias coming through. But they obviously made the finals last year. I reckon you can almost scrap that, that first bit of the season given the injuries they had. Now, since Butler's returned to the lineup, they're 15-8. and eight. They've dropped their last two, so they were 15-6 and six until the last two loss, losses. And Butler's been phenomenal. He's, he's, he's averaging 23 points a game, eight rebounds and nine assists since he's come back. His on-off numbers are incredible. When he's on the court, they're a plus, they've been a plus 120. And when he's off, they're minus 153. So he, he's obviously, you know, the straw that makes a drink go. So... I think when you look at them, given that what they did last year, you can't discount them no, no matter what their, their record says because I reckon they're starting to get their game to, together. Uh, they've been second on defense since Butler's come back. Their offense is still struggling a little bit, but you know you look at maybe their closing five of, five of Dragic, Butler, Robinson, Iggy and Bam, or if you want to sort of substitute more of a shooter in there, you can bring in maybe a Tyler Hero for, for an Iggy or something like that, I reckon they can mix and match pretty well and can be certainly be a tough out. We, we've seen that they recently played five games in seven nights, and even on that, that last game when 
they lost to Memphis, I think it was. They even made Memphis really work for that. So they're just one of those really gritty teams that you don't want to come up against. They might not have the absolute superstars, although Butler's sort of playing at that level at the moment. But you just reckon that uh, that they're one of those teams that nobody wants to come up against in the playoffs. We did see that they have they added Trevor Ariza during the during the week for Myers Leonard and a second round pick. Now I must admit I didn't even realise Trevor Ariza was still in the league. That's because he hasn't even played this year. He was okay last year for Portland, but then opted out, out of the bubble, I think for personal reasons. So I think what Miami are obviously trying to do there is get somebody that fulfilled that Jay Crowder role from last year because he was really big for them, particularly in the bubble. He can play that small ball five. Now they're envisaging Trevor Ariza to be able to do that. I'm not quite confident he's going to be able to do that. But if he can sort of emulate maybe 70% of what Crowder gave him, he can at least sort of give him something, you know, in that run home and in the playoffs as well. So that's the reason I do have Miami in this tier, albeit at the bottom of this tier. What was the, what was the main concern for you not having Miami amongst this tier? Oh, look, I've plenty of respect for Miami. And I think they've been able to really turn the corner this season and getting, getting themselves in a really strong position, obviously sitting you know, in that fourth spot in the East. Look, I just don't think they've been able to show enough at this point in the season to me to for me to look past, you know, say a Philadelphia and a Milwaukee who they're going to have to get past in the Eastern Conference. So I've probably still got a bit more uh, faith in Milwaukee than what I would have in Miami been able to repeat what they did last year um, in the bubble. And one of the guys that, for me, probably again, because he's in my fantasy team, that I've, you know, watched quite closely that, you know, I would have thought that could have, would have come on a little bit more than what he has at this stage of the season after having you know such a terrific playoff series as Tyler Harrow. So he's been up and down um, for a number of uh, for most of the season for a number of different reasons. He's had I think his reputation got sorry to cut you off. I think his reputation got inflated by that bubble sort of performance, and and it was I think it was more some of those big games he had and some big shots he hit more so than his full body of work in in the bubble. Now it was impressive for a rookie to be able to do what he did, but if you looked at his numbers, they weren't quite as impressive as what everybody was making out. And you sort of heard that he was untouchable in, in trades and, you know, he's a future all-star. A future all-star, I don't think he's quite at that level. So I could see how, how people would say that he's been a little bit disappointing, and he probably has, but I, I think his reputation got a bit sort of overblown by his bubble performance. Yeah, yeah, most likely. But they're the sort of performances that Miami needed from him, you know, to be able to yep, push no through like they have. And I just don't know that they've got someone else on the roster like that that can really, you know, if it's not Butler on that particular day, who else is the guy that can go for 30? And Hero was the guy in the playoffs last year that was able to do that. But his shooting numbers, you know, particularly just in the last week, you're looking at 26%, 36%, 30%, 14%, and 16% all games in the last seven, uh, in his last seven games. So the shooting's a real concern for him. And, if you know, if he's not shooting well and Duncan Robinson is potentially having an off night as well, which he's been prone to do a little bit as well this uh, this season, um, I just wonder whether, you know, albeit kudos to their performance last year, I just don't, I've got a bit more faith that Milwaukee can sort of really see things out this year and getting, you know, almost get through to that Eastern Conference Finals. And if not, well, I, I still would have Philadelphia that's here ahead of them as well. Now, that's fair enough. And I've got both Philly and Milwaukee in this tier as well. So we'll start with Philly. What is it about Philly as opposed to what we saw last year that makes you more confident in them this year? Oh, look, I think it's the improved play of Joel Embiid. So, look, he's elevated his game from, you know, being an all-star player to now being an MVP candidate. So, fingers crossed he can get back into the lineup, you know, ASAP uh, for the Sixers. But, they, again, they've been a team that's been able to withstand him not being out on the floor over this last week or so. You know, once he can get back and hopefully his body and uh, and mind's in a good spot, then if he can re- regain that form that he had prior to the all-star break where he was sort of the provisional 
MVP leader at that point of the season. Well, that's, I think, the difference for me, for them going to the playoffs this year. I think we know pretty much what we can get out of um, Ben Simmons, and it's just the elevation of um, Embiid's game that now tips them over the top. I think they've been able to round the roster out pretty well. Those role plays that they did bring in to spread the floor has, has seemingly been able to work. And, you know, they, they've been able to continue really solid form all the way through this season and sit you know, quite comfortably as the number one seed currently in the East. So that's where I'd, I'd have them, you know, in that tier above. They've got the best player on the floor, you know, pretty much in any given ga- in any given game, then that's going to be a real advantage for them. And if Ben Simmons can, you know, maintain his form and then elevate again in the playoffs, then I think they do have enough shooting around them now to, to really um, make a real run at it um, at the end of the season. Yeah, I don't think there was anybody happier to see LeBron go down with an extended injury than Joel Embiid. I think LeBron had probably overtaken Embiid, given Embiid was going to be out for a couple of weeks, and this sort of might even the ledger a little bit. So, yeah, Embiid's been absolutely fantastic, and you mentioned adding around the around the fringes there. So Seth Curry's obviously opened the floor, and Danny Green's been able to do the same thing. So their starting five, which is basically their closing five, is really outstanding. So Ben Simmons, Seth Curry... Uh, Tobias Harris, Danny Green, and Joel Embiid. Now, that's a great five. Uh, coming off the bench, Shake Milton, Dwight Howard, Matisse Thibel, and Furkan Korkmaz is another guy who's actually started to really find his form of late. Now, they are 3-1 and one since Embiid's gone down with injury. Their only loss being in overtime to Milwaukee Bucks. So it's been really impressive how they have managed to uh, make up for that loss of Joel Embiid. But that starting five, as I said, is really good. Uh, those guys coming off the bench are okay, do you think for them to be able to challenge a Brooklyn or a full-strength Lakers, do they need to add somebody else before this trade deadline? Because they've got most of their draft picks coming up. They've got some of these contracts like a Danny Green or you know some of these other guys that might be able to include in some trades. Do you think they need to add somebody if they really want to win the championship this year? Oh, I'm sure they'd like to um, certainly fill out a bit of bench depth if they can. I mean, the, the big name that's probably been linked to them, and, and I've probably got doubts whether something like this will happen, is Kyle Lowry. So that's the you know, the elephant in the room, if they could add him via trade and get him sort of running the point alongside Ben Simmons, you know, adding some real veteran leadership to them in the playoffs. Well, that would seem like a pretty good thing for them to be able to do. Look, I don't think it's going to happen, and I think they're going to have to probably make their way in terms of adding depth by buyout and just try and get, you know, whether it's a JJ Reddick type or someone else like that that can come in off the bench and give them some additional shooting as well. So, look, I think they'd like to continue to add depth to the, to the roster, we, as we said, we're expecting the Brooklyn Nets who do have space to be able to do it from a roster numbers point of view. So, you know, if they're continuing to add, then I think Philly, you know, they're going to have to try and do what they can to get some um, additional help in there as well. But, you know, all things being equal as it currently stands, I just think they're in a really strong position. They're going to, you know, finish in, certainly in the top three seeds in the East and give them give themselves every chance to, um, to be able to make the, their way through as deep as possible this season. Yep. I agree. I've got them basically as my second seed uh, in the East, just slightly ahead of Milwaukee. Now, Milwaukee, we saw during the week, added PJ Tucker for DJ Augustine. Now, they got off the last two years and $14 million of uh, $14 million of DJ Augustine's contract. So I think that was a really nice piece of work there. And essentially, there's some draft picks to sort of exchange hands. But what they essentially did was they, they're going to give up their first-round pick this year um, and get back Houston's second-round pick, I think. So they're basically only going to move sort of six, seven, maybe eight places back in the draft to, to add P.J. Tucker. So the, the biggest question mark, obviously, with P.J. Tucker is he's been very, very ordinary this year. Now, the, is that just because he's been going through the motions a little bit in what's been a hopeless situation in Houston, or is it because he's getting older and, and he's sort of been beat up for all these years of playing that small ball five? 
Um, so that's the biggest question mark for me. What what PJ Tucker are they getting? Now, if they get the PJ Tucker that we've seen over Houston or even a slightly diminished diminished version of that, I think this is a massive ad for them because I did question a few weeks ago what their closing five may be. You obviously lock in Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis. Now, you add PJ Tucker to that mix. Now, that's a pretty good four. And Dante DiVincenzo is starting to play a little bit better of late. So I reckon that's a pretty quality closing five and certainly a lot better than the, than the closing five that they were running out there last year. So it certainly strengthened them at adding PJ Tucker. And we saw him play his first game today. He only played 13-odd minutes, I think, and, and, and didn't really do a lot. So you'd expect him sort of to, to take a while to find his feet. He hasn't played for the last couple of weeks. What are you expecting, Caddy, out of PJ Tucker? Do you think it's a big ad and do you think it sort of lifts Milwaukee up in that chain at the moment? Yeah, well, we did discuss it um, a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing possible trade locations. I think we both suggested that Brooklyn would have been a good fit and then, and then Milwaukee was the other one that we would have liked to have seen him land on. So that, from a Milwaukee point of view, I think they've got someone in there that has been there before, um, has gone deep in the playoffs, had some more veteran leadership to put around uh, Giannis in particular and, can you know, as, as we know, he's a really strong defensive player. He has been known to be able to hit an open three-pointer from the corner. Not so much what we've seen this year, but... You I think know, he leads the league... In the, in the three-pointer from the corner over the last five years very comfortably. So, yeah, you can certainly knock that down. Yeah, and so, look, I think for them to, to bring a guy like that in, if, you know, if Tucker can get back to, you know, 80% of what he was doing for Houston in the past few years rather than what we you know, obviously seen from him this year, then I think it's a really strong ad. And as you said, it does, you know, give a bit more certainty around that, you know, closing five and for Milwaukee. And as you said, DiVincenzo is the guy that's probably stepped up a fair bit in the last month or so as well. You know, getting Drew Holiday back was obviously key. He spoke about a bit of a slide they had prior to the All-Star break and the defensive numbers in particular were really suffering, but getting him back in playing, Middleton's you know, having a, a, tr- a tremendous season as well. And Giannis now, you know, he's got to be right up there still in the MVP race, averaging 29 points, the 12, nearly the 12 rebounds and six assists. So he's having a, a monster season as well. So He's been ridiculous lately, hasn't he? He went he went over a 15-game span there, close to 32 points a game, 12.6 rebounds and 7.2 assists over that 15 games. And, yeah, only Oscar Robinson, Wilt Chamberlain and uh, Russell Westbrook had done that over a 15-game span. So certainly some pretty good company there. And despite the fact that he's won the last two and I don't think he will win it this year, he's certainly putting his name up there in that MVP discussion, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. And I think, yeah, we spoke about MVP narratives and probably a reluctance to, to hand him a third in a row uh, might be the thing that holds him back. But if he can continue to average the best part of 30 and 12 and Milwaukee, you know, finish in the top couple of seeds in the East, it's going to be very hard to look past him. And I think the only problem he's got is just um, a perceived, you know, issue with his playoff performances, particularly in the last season that may kind of um, brainwash some of the voters. But, you know, if he's putting up those type of numbers and Milwaukee continues to head down the path they are at the moment, which is, you know, a really strong, strong win streak. They've got the six on the six in a row at the moment. They're just sitting one and a half games off Philadelphia for the one seed. So, you know, I expect them to, to continue to power on and be a really strong regular season team to the end of the year and then hopefully can, you know, really prove their medal in the playoffs. It's going to be an extraordinary MVP race because every time somebody looks like they're sort of you know, nudging ahead a little bit, they get injured or their team goes on a losing streak. So you could probably mount a case for five, six, even seven guys at the moment and you wouldn't you wouldn't sound all that stupid mounting your case for that particular player. So yeah, it's gonna be really interesting how that plays out for the for the second half of the season. So you you've got two teams in this uh tier that I don't. Which two teams are they? I think you said Utah and Denver, were they the two that you, you you've got that we haven't spoken about as yet? 
Yeah, so I'd still have Utah right up in that sort of secondary tier. Probably a bit unlucky to not even be considered higher. They're still sitting on top of the Western Conference. They're uh, two and a half games ahead of the Phoenix Suns for the for the uh, one seed in, in the West. So 30 and 11. Look, they've only gone five and five in their last 10 games, but um, I think they've started to, to find some form again just over the last couple of nights. So I'd have them still as a really strong championship contender. I think, um, albeit, you know, they had a really good regular season last year. I think they've improved obviously consider, considerably from that. Their home record in particular is outstanding. They're 16-2 and two at home this year. And if they're you know, obviously going to finish in a top four seed here by the end of the year, then that home court advantage for them is a significant one. You know, going to Utah, playing at altitude, playing in front of, you know, even if it is a half-field stadium of you know, pretty raucous support there is an advantage for them. So I'd still have them certainly in that next tier. And the other one you mentioned there was the Denver Nuggets. So, they're still sitting just fifth in the West, but I just think they've been able to turn the corner um, a, a fair bit here in the last couple of weeks. We spoke about them, you know, as one of these teams that we had some concerns about a few weeks back, particularly from an offensive end and, and finding a, a third scorer. And um, we questioned, you know, obviously had real strong questions around Gary Harris and even Michael Porter Jr. But Porter Jr. is the one that's been able to really find his form over the last few weeks here. So he's been able to elevate his game. He's averaging, you know, certainly in the mid low to mid-20s over the last six games. Uh, hasn't scored under 20. Sorry, he scored 19 in yesterday's game. But prior to that, uh, hadn't scored under 20 in the previous five. So he's been able to really elevate from an offensive point of view and really support now Jokic and Murray down that end of the court. So that's that's significant for them. You know, we spoke about defensive the defensive end being an issue for them as well. But I think at this stage, you know, if they can continue to track uh, the way they are, continue to work up the ladder, and I think they'll, you know, I've got confidence they'll finish in the top four in the West. And then, you know, they've had some really good playoff runs over the last couple of years, which I hope put them in some good stead to, to be able to, you know, really feed off that when they get into some serious situations um, in the playoffs this year. So I'd have them just ahead of the Clippers and and ahead of the Suns in that Western Conference as, as, um, some ser- as a serious contender still. Yeah, so I had both Utah and Denver just at the at the top of my next uh, tier there, so basically in the seventh, seventh and eighth seed of the, of the entire league. So f- firstly on Denver, yeah, there's no doubt that Michael Porter Jr. is their X factor. He's, he, he's got his game going. He's such a, a gifted offensive player, and he's certainly improved – on the defensive end as well. So that, that was the biggest concern that, that their coach Mike Malone had with him last year, that he wasn't getting the minutes in the crunch time, but when he's, 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 no, his minutes sort of dwindled a lot in those playoffs. But he, he's certainly improved on that end, and obviously he's really un, untapped on that offensive end as well. So if he's ticking, Jamal Murray's been – he's struggled a little bit the last probably four or five games, but he went through a run there for a good month and a half where he was putting up very similar numbers to his bubble numbers. And obviously Nikola Jokic is – maybe even the favourite now for the MVP with all these guys going down for injuries. So you get those three guys up and firing. Will Barton also off the bench has been able to uh, tick the scoreboard over. So for me, I think they're a really interesting team before this trade deadline because they've got that Gary Harris contract sitting there worth $20 million. That's sort of a good number for them to be able to get in, into the conversation for some of these guys that that, may, that they might be able to add. So the, the name that I keep spruiking that needs to be traded uh, is from the Orlando Magic, Aaron Gordon. So if they traded Harris and they've still got most of their picks, so whatever it takes, whether it's a first round and a second round or whatever it needs be, and they can throw Aaron Gordon into the mix there, play him as that small ball five, and you're sort of running out Murray, Barton, Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. How devastating a closing five or even a starting five, Caddy, do you think that could be? Oh, I think they'd take that over what they've the current roster that they have. I think Gordon would certainly be a player that 
could come in and, and really assist them on, on both ends of the floor. I mean, he, he's come back from injury. Uh, had a monster game the other night for Orlando. So, you know, whether they're trying to boost up his trade value or trade market, potentially you know, trying to feed him the ball as much as they can over the next week or so here, um, try and push his stocks up. But look, he'd be certainly a guy most teams would cover on a, on a reasonably fair contract as well. So whether or not Gary Harrison picks is enough to get it done, they might have to throw in an RJ Hampton or, you know, a Bol Bol or some of the other younger players as well, potentially to get... Would you do that? Would you? Obviously, RJ Hampton was their first round pick this year. We saw him last year in, in the NBL. He's certainly got a lot of potential. Given where Denver sits, do you think they're close enough to that title to give away a, a, a first round pick and RJ Hampton, who they obviously do rate pretty highly, to bring in someone like Aaron Gordon? Well, I think this is the sort of year that, you know, as we can see, anything's can, anything can happen. You know, COVID's still swirling around over there in the US and, you know, that, it's, that's not going to end anytime soon. So there's still that risk for a team at any, you know, stage of the ladder there that they could be affected. And then, you know, you're looking at the Lakers now with two of their biggest stars that have gone down, the Embiid injury for Philly in the East. So there, there could be pockets of uh, space there opening up. And, you know, if Denver have got an opportunity to sort of almost go all in, in a sense, and make that trade that we've been looking for them to make over the last uh, few years with all the assets they'd been banking up and good young talent. You know, if, if they're in a position to make that deal and get it done, then then I would. I'd go all in. I wouldn't want to waste, you know, one more second of Jokic in, in this sort of in this sort of form. You know, I don't think he's he's reached his prime yet, but you know, in the form he's in at the moment, you you just want to add as much talent around him as you can and you know, give yourself every opportunity. And you know, I don't think they're that far off at those top uh, top few teams and. You know, if they can get on a similar run as they did last year, then who knows that they could be there right at the pointy end. So, I've got a, a lot more confidence in Denver right now than I did a few weeks ago. I think we just needed to see Porter Jr. in particular find his form, and you know, he obviously was suffering from COVID and, and had that, and it's taken him a while to get going. Uh, but I think he has now found his groove, and you know, with him now playing at a, at a really high level, then that that adds a really strong another element to this Denver team. I agree. I think they, they should put, push all the chips in and try and get someone like an Aaron Gordon this year because in the next year or so, they're going to have to extend Michael Porter Jr. His rookie uh, contract will run out. So they're going to have a pretty high ca- uh, salary there with you know Jokic's uh, Supermax, Jamal Murray signed to a, to a large contract, and they're going to have to sign Porter Jr. to a pretty significant contract as well, you'd imagine, maybe even a, a max extension, a rookie, max rookie extension anyway. So they're not going to be able to add some quality players once they get those guys signed to their extensions because they're just going to run out of room. But if they can get them in before that, obviously have have their bird rights and be able to operate over the cap that way. So I think they, they, they should... Uh, push the chips in and go for someone like a Gordon. The other team you mentioned there was the Utah Jazz. Now, I initially, if we'd done this a couple of weeks ago, would have had them in that in that second tier below Brooklyn and the Lakers. But being six and six in their last twelve games, and in that span there, their defense has only been the twenty second in the NBA, and that's obviously what they hang their hat on. So the biggest question mark I've got are are teams starting to figure out a way to exploit Rudy Gobert, who is who is basically the red-hot favourite for the Defensive Player of the Year, but a team starting to drag him out a little bit and, and may, maybe expose his his lack of mobility on the perimeter. And if that is the case and they have to go small without Gobert in that closing lineup, will, will, would a closing lineup of Mitchell, Conley, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neill and Bogdanovich be good enough to mix it with these other teams when they go small? I have my doubts about that. Do you think teams are maybe starting to figure out a way to exploit Rudy Gobert? And if that is the case, Caddy, that obviously takes a big hit for Utah's chances. Yeah, we spoke about that a few weeks ago, um, more so from the offensive point of view for Rudy Gobert when teams do go small and he doesn't have 
you know, that, that match-up and they sort of really spread it out. And, you know, the pick and roll is not as operable in those sort of situations and he's more relying on lobs and offensive rebounds to score. So, you know, look, I'm sure, you know, all the teams are going to be going to work on them, as, as you'd hope all teams would be. But, um, look, I, I still think it came out of the blocks so, so well at the start, playing really elite. Um, basketball, just the style of play they had and the, the sort of depth of op- options they had, particularly on the perimeter. So, yeah, you know, you mentioned the the six and six over the last twelve games, but you know they, they've still, you know, as I said, running at thirty wins, eleven losses, um, the clear number one in the West. So I'd give them a pass for that. You almost like them just sort of to bring it back um, a little bit here and you know just sort of manage their way through the season. But um, yeah, look, I think the talent that was there three weeks ago is still there, and you know they they that, they've got time to make their necessary roster adjustments as well, um, or line-up adjustments to be able to find the right fit for any stage of, of any playoff game. So I think there's enough depth on that team to, to be able to cover any situation that gets thrown to them, whether it is Gobert having to, to come off the court for periods times, whether it's Derek Favors can come in and, and play you know, a more increased role, or whether they go ultra-small, which I'd be surprised if they, they did that. Um, if they did take Gobert and Favors out at the same time, then you know, it is quite a a small five that's left. So I'd be surprised if they went down that path. But I've still got a lot of confidence in them. I mentioned the you know, the home court advantage and if they can get rolling again, then I still think their title aspirations are, are still um, right there and available to them. Yeah, it, it is. I've, yeah, I've just got a little bit of doubt. That, that The thing that worries me is that the 22nd in defence over a 12-game period because that, yeah, that, that's their biggest strength. Gobert sort of is the backbone of that. And, and if that's starting to slip a little bit, I, I'm not sure they can mix it with the other teams. But just a shout-out to Joe Ingles. He hit a – was it a franchise record caddy? Eight threes uh, recently? Yeah, well, he, scored 30, he scored a career-high 34 points. He went eight from ten from three in that particular game. Um, I saw he's just gone past Jeff Hornacek as the sixth-leading assist man as well for Utah. So he's starting to climb up a lot of the franchise records there. We spoke about him obviously now being the all-time leader in three-pointers. And now – you know, there's every chance he'll finish career in the top three or four in assists as well. So the accolades keep coming for him. He's been playing in the starting lineup um, the last few games here, just with an injury to Mike Connolly. So he's been able to step in and, and give them scoring punch off, off you know, whether it's off the bench or in the starting lineup and having another terrific season. He's, um, I saw something come out during the week that basically he's got the number one basically all-time true shooting percentage. For, yeah, he's, um, on, he's on track to have the best true shooting percentage in a single season in the history of the NBA. Yeah, which is just absolutely incredible. So, yeah, all kudos to, to Joe Ingles. Certainly is. So so the next team I had in this uh, tier, and I believe I think you mentioned them as well, was the Phoenix Suns. What have you seen from the Suns that, that has them up this high for you? Yeah, well, I had them just out of that tier. So they were the team that I, that I had them out third, of. Do your third yeah, tier with them? Third tier. Yeah, yeah so they're so in the I third you... tier for me as well, sorry. So we'll call this the if everything goes right tier. So probably similar to the parallel is what happened to Miami last year. You wouldn't have thought going into the playoffs that they were going to be in contention, but everything went right for them. Maybe you get a matchup where some injuries happen to your opponent and you get through that way. So, so that's how I'd sort of view this tier, and that's where I had Phoenix for me. Yeah, look, I've got them there as well. I think you know they're they're playing well enough to to be taken really seriously as a as a side that you probably don't want to come up against in the playoffs. Um, you know they've got a, a really strong X factor there with the way that they're playing at the moment. They've won seven of the last ten games. They're sitting second in the West, which is just incredible. Really, they've been able to you know maintain this level of play. So I have them in in that tier. I've got them there along with the Portland Trailblazers, uh, the Miami Heat, who we spoke about earlier, and the, the last team I've sort of put in there, and it's just out of respect really to Luka Doncic is um, the Dallas Mavericks. And you talk about everything going right, well, um, they'd have to have a hell of a lot go right for them. But I just respect 
Lucas game so much and, you know, his ability to, to be a match winner that I, I won't discount them as a title chance if everything and absolutely everything goes goes in their favour and absolutely everything goes against everyone else. So I've got them in as um, probably my last team in this in this next tier of teams that potentially could win the title. Yeah, so I, I had Phoenix as well. For me, it's, it's basically just the fact that they've got two guys that can close a playoff game for you in obviously Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So we, we've seen them both do that during the season. Chris Paul has had a couple of brain fades in, play, in big playoff moments, but it, but it, he's also had some exceptional performance in playoffs that sort of get forgotten about because he's had a couple of brain fades. So he's an exceptional leader and playoff closer. So is Devin Booker. You know, Bridges is a really good wing defender. Jay Crowder played a really massive role for Miami last year, so there's no reason he couldn't wouldn't be able to do that this year uh, for for the Suns. And obviously, John DeAndre Ayton, who interestingly has been out of their closing lineup for a few games of, of late. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do settle on and if that's a pattern that's starting to emerge or they're just sort of tinkering with things or not. I'm not quite sure what's going on with Aiton not being in the closing lineup, but I, I found that a little bit interesting. But just basically because of Chris Paul and Devin Booker that, that I had him in, in this tier, the other team that you don't have in this tier that I do was the Boston Celtics. And I must admit, I, I'm probably sort of wavering on them a little bit. It's just basically because I rate... Tatum and Brown so highly, but they obviously haven't been able to to string any sort of meaningful wins together. Actually, since this, since the twelve game mark of the season, they're twelve and seventeen, which is tenth in the East. So that would suggest that their things obviously aren't going their way at the moment. They've they've still got that that thirty million dollar trade exception from the Gordon Hayward trade, just sort of sitting there, um, sort of tempting Danny Ainge to make a move before that trade deadline. Now I'm not sure whether they will or not. But if they're going to be a real championship contender, I think they do need to pull the trigger and make a move there because Tatum Brown, uh, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, that's a good four. And whether they close with a, a Tyus Thompson or, or a Robert Williams, I'm not too too sure. But they, they just don't have, similar to the Clippers, I think, they don't really have a really true point guard. Now, Kemba's a, a really good player, but he's not one of those sort of real true point guards. That, you know, they, they rank near last in, in assist rates and open shots in the NBA, so that... That means they're not then obviously not creating any easy shots for teammates, and they and they rank near the top in in uh, in contested shots as well. So and near the bottom in actually efficient efficiency in in contested shots. So their offensive re- is really clunky at the moment. So if they are going to use that trade exception, I think they really need to add similar to the Clippers, as I said, a, a playmaker that can really help out. Otherwise, I would probably have them outside this tier. Now you mentioned. Portland and who was the other one? You had Dallas. Uh, Dallas. Yeah, yeah. So, so Portland and Dallas, I had them in, in that next tier, which I was calling the Lloyd Christmas tier. You're telling me there's a chance. So, <laughs> And basically I had those two in that tier just out of respect for 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 Luka Doncic and Dame Lillard basically because I don't think re- realistically they're any chance of winning it. But as you said there, Luka Doncic is an absolute star. He's probably capable of, of taking a team really far in, in the playoffs. We saw last year him hitting some big shots in the playoffs. And Dame Lillard, well, his, his record feet speaks for himself in clutch situations. So I didn't have quite those guys in that third tier, those sorry, those teams in that third tier. I had them in, the, in, in that fourth tier. Also with Golden State, and that's out of, of respect for Steph Curry, who's out at the moment. I think Draymond Green might have been injured today as well. So they certainly can't afford those guys to be out for too long. But basically out of respect for Steph, I don't think Golden State are obviously going to be able to put up much of a chance for, for uh, much of a fight. Sorry for the championship, and I also included Indiana and Toronto in that in that last tier as well. And Toronto basically because they've got that championship equity with Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, and Pascal Siakam, who 
all play significant roles when they won that championship a couple of years ago. So you do have to respect them despite the fact they're obviously not performing anywhere near the level they have over the last couple of years and there's still that doubt about whether Lowry will will be with them after the trade deadline in Indiana, who we sort of spoke about last week in depth. Um, just have, I think, enough talent if they can get TJ Warren back into the mix to be able to sort of cause some headaches and if absolutely everything broke right, maybe they could make a deep run. But that were the reasons that I didn't have those those teams there in, in that tier. Who did you have in your final tier there, Caddy? Yeah, well, I pretty much ruled everyone else out. So I, you know, I sort of had it in the everything go right category was the Portland, Dallas, um, Miami sort of teams. But yeah, outside of that, I, I, I've lost all confidence in Boston being a title contender. Um, I don't think the Warriors have, have got enough. They'll be lucky to even make the playoffs. And the Raptors are just on a on a free fall at the moment, losing their last seven games. So I, I sort of capped it basically with only the four teams in that final tier, which um, yeah, with the Miami Heat the Phoenix Suns, the Dallas Mavericks and the Portland Trailblazers outside of that. Um, I think it's curtains for everyone else and that includes the San Antonio Spurs who, you know, are looking to really just, yeah, continue getting game time into their young players. I don't think Indiana can win it. I've got no confidence in Atlanta, New York, Chicago or Charlotte. So, yeah, I think we're, I've sort of capped mine at 12, uh, 12 teams across the, the two conferences that potentially could be there at the end. Yeah, I agree with with those teams as well. Just quickly have a quick chat about Atlanta, who were actually undefeated since they fired their coach, Lloyd Pierce, and brought in Nate McMillan. So it's interesting the way they did that because they probably looked at the schedule and thought it was going to be a bit lighter and some of these players were, who were coming back from injuries and, and it was the ideal time to do it. Do you think it's just been a fact that they've had a bit of an easier run or do you think that they've, they've sort of stumbled onto something there with Nate McMillan? And when we spoke about them earlier in the season, we thought that they would be somewhere sort of between five to seven. Do you think that's sort of where they will end up falling or do you think this is just a bit of that sort of new coach rebound and they'll probably regress back to what they sort of showed earlier in the season? Yeah, look, I, I, it's rare to think that the new coach rebound could go for eight wins on a trot. Normally you get a bit of a bounce for maybe one, two or three games and then sort of fall back into kind of where you were. But yeah, this has been a more of a sustained run and, and it's more of a t- style, or the style of play that we saw from from them out of the gates at the start of the season. So, look, um, you know, we, we were speaking glowingly about them early in the season, saying that, you know, we couldn't see a way they'd fall even out of the sixth seed at that stage. And then a few weeks later, they tumbled all the way down to about 12th. So eight wins on the trot now season back up to fifth. You know, you'd like to think with the talent that, that is there and the players they brought in the off-season, none of that has changed. Um, they'll get DeAndre Hunter back in as well. Um, John Collins is the guy, I think, that's really taken the step up for them. And again, whether... That's because, you know, he's trying to – well, whether they're trying to feed him to up, up his trade value as well. But he's now playing, you know, in the in the low 30 minutes a game where his, his minutes have dropped off a little bit. His, his rebound numbers are, are up again and his, um, yeah, his scoring numbers have, have gone through the roof too. So you'd think they put to bed those trade rumours, wouldn't you? you would, you'd think on an eight-game winning streak, as you said there, Collins has played really, really well of late. You wouldn't think now that they're, they're going to look to move him, surely. No, I think they've still got to, you know, just wait it out, get him, get him through to restricted free agency, see what other offer gets thrown his way, and then, you know, they've got that ability to match it. So you just don't, you know, if, you, if you're a team that's been rebuilding for as long as Atlanta has, then, you know, you just don't let young talent um, sort of walk out the door unless there's something really significant coming back, which I, I can't see how that would happen uh, for him in a, in a trade situation with his pending restricted free agency. So I think they're best suited just to play it out for the year, see, see what level... This, this team can get to um, by the end of the season and then you know make a 
make a really strong decision once they they see offer sheets come for him um, in the off season. And yeah, I, I'd like to think that they've they've drafted him, they believe in him, and and they at the end of the day they'll pay him, and and he'll be a, a long term player in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what sort of contract he does get. Um, that'll obviously depend how he does finish the season. The the other team we'll quickly just talk about just because they've been sort of mentioned. Uh, to be looking to add our Golden State. I mentioned the fact that I, I do only have him in there because of my respect for Steph Curry. But they have been in rumours that maybe they're looking to acquire Victor Oladipo. Now, I don't know how that would be, whether they would have to include maybe Andrew Wiggins in that trade. Do you think, Caddy, that if they did add Oladipo, I've got my doubts about you know his ability to bounce back to that all-star level and sort of how good he is at the moment. Maybe he's sort of better in a role at Golden State and maybe being that third option behind Steph and Draymond. Do you think if they added somebody like Oladipo that that could sort of maybe change the, their perception and maybe they could jump up a little bit? They could maybe run out a, a lineup of Steph, Oladipo, Oubre Jr., Draymond Green, and you know maybe they mix and match sort of that, that last spot there, whether it's a Wiseman or, or somebody else or an Eric Pascal or somebody. If they were able to add an Oladipo, do you think maybe they could vault up a little bit into the conversation? Um, look, not for me. I, I don't think it shifts the needle enough. And um, you know, Andrew Wiggins has actually been playing pretty well the last last couple of weeks here as well. Look, I think if they were to trade for Oladipo, Ubre Junior might be the one that would you know be able to get the salary to match it and move out and and try and keep Wiggins as part of it uh, for the time being. Look, if I'm the Warriors, I'm, I'm probably looking at this season as just seeing you know what they can do and and you know get as far as they can without really considering themselves a title chance. Um, you know, wait till Clay comes back next year. Hope, hope to God the Minnesota pick falls outside, you know, the protected range, and they can add some another, you know, really strong young player into the into their mix and, and you know, kind of go from there. I think that's probably more likely their pathway rather than trying to make a win now trade for a team that, to be honest, I don't think's got enough to really compete with some of the other teams that we've spoken about tonight. Yeah, I do agree with you. I have found it a bit surprising that they would look to add an Oladipo because I agree if they end up getting that Minnesota pick, it falls, you know, let's say fifth pick or whatever it ends up in the draft, that they miss the playoffs, they get a lottery pick for themselves, and then they bring back Clay Thompson. All of a sudden, next year, that they could make a really big jump up. So I agree. I I don't think they should look to, to add an Oladipo. Just sort of wait it out this year. Hopefully, uh, Clay comes back, and he's you're obviously not going to expect him to be playing at that all-star level that, that he has over the previous years. But if he he's a jump shooter, so you'd imagine he's going to be able to produce something. And Steph's obviously still playing some really good ball. Hopefully Draymond Green doesn't start to uh, age catch up with him. And, and next year that they're going to be a really difficult team to, to, uh, to knock over. Uh, so we'll call it there. It was good to, to chat through a number of teams there and, and hopefully we've given out some, some good opinions on some of the teams that will shape the, the championship race in the back half of the year. As I say every week, thank you to everyone who continues to download this and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you. Mm-hmm.